Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for well-being and resiliency in pharmacy practice. This podcast is a forum where you can listen in as members share successful strategies on wellness and resiliency in their both personal and professional lives. My name is Bridget Betts, a fourth-year pharmacy student from the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy, and I'm on rotation with ASHP this month. I will be your host for today's episode. With me today are Stephen Deptola and Bree Hemmen, clinical pharmacy specialists at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. Thanks for joining us today to discuss how your organization has implemented a robust resident well-being program combining both combining professional development, wellness, and mentorship. To start, let's discuss a little more about your wellness curriculum. Can you share with us on a high level what the program consists of and key curricular elements? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having us. Um, so from a really high level, um, the wellness curriculum itself is a 12-month program that our PGY1 and PGY2 residents go through. Um, as a part of this wellness curriculum, we also have a wellness committee that operates um, kind of in the background to make sure that the wellness curriculum is flowing, making sure that things are operating appropriately, and kind of being a check-in for our residents. As far as our wellness curriculum in itself, we really focus on three buckets of wellness. And those buckets of wellness are in line with our institutional um, wellness guidelines as well. So we focus on emotional wellness, professional well-being, and social well-being. Each one of these in the curriculum, we try and feature at least once a quarter in the 12 months. So having one emotional wellness activity um, a quarter, one professional wellness activity a quarter, and then one social well-being activity a quarter. And really what we try to do is tailor this to the resident experience. So the wellness curriculum is really designed on delivering the most effective presentation or the most effective activity at the best time in the resident's career. So trying to do more professional experience early on in the curriculum where they really might need a little bit more guidance on, say, how to be an effective resident and trying to tailor more appropriate experiences towards the end of their um, curriculum as well. In addition to the wellness curriculum and the wellness committee itself, we also have a liaison program that uh, Bree, who is joining us today, um, runs, and that is kind of a peer mentorship program where our residents are uh, have a relationship with a clinical specialist at Cincinnati Children's that really acts as a sounding board, a mentor, and a liaison to um, navigating the um, trials and tribulations of the residency program. Great. A lot of important pillars highlighted and a very well-designed program. So before we dissect each of the components of the wellness curriculum, will you share a little bit about how the program came about? How did you first become interested in the wellness aspects of a residency curriculum? Yeah, absolutely. Um, The program itself really started when our institution really rolled out what we call as our peer-to-peer program, which is an emotional well-being and kind of resiliency program that we have available to all employees at the hospital. Um, So that program is available to employees who are going through hardships or maybe experience a difficult situation within the hospital, um, whether it be a difficult patient or something going on in their personal life, where they're able to reach out um, with someone who's trained to provide emotional support for that um, personal employee. With that, with that program, we realized that there's nothing catered specific to the resident experience, and we really wanted to develop something for that. And Brie will talk about how the actual program itself came into development outside of just the generation of the idea. 
Yeah, so before designing the wellness program, we spoke with other institutions across the state that had pharmacy resident wellness programs already in place to hear about their experiences and get some advice um, about starting our program here. Stephen also reached out to our medical residents to learn about the wellness program that we have in place at our institution for medical residents and how aspects of their program may be incorporated into ours. And when creating the curriculum, we also reflected on our own past experiences as residents and what benefited us during those stressful years um, and tried to reflect on, on those times so that we can make the best experience for the residents. Great. Thank you for sharing. Um, a lot of passion involved in creating this program and certainly timely considering um, all we know about well-being of healthcare professionals and the stressors of residency. Let's dive a little deeper into the program. First, um, let's cover the aspect of professional wellness. What activities does that entail and how do you decide which activities to implement? I can touch on the professional aspects of our program. So there are a couple different professional aspects in the curriculum. And I'll first start by talking about the liaison program. The liaison program, as Stephen mentioned, is um, kind of like a mentorship program within our residency. It started four years ago, and I was a liaison shortly after starting here at Cincinnati Children's. Uh, the following year, I ended up taking over coordinating the program, and within the past year, we've really integrated the liaison program into our new wellness program, as both of these complement the ongoing efforts of RPDs and preceptors to support and encourage the residents throughout the year. So the liaison acts as a formalized advisor for the resident, advocates on their behalf, and is really their go-to person during their year. They meet about every other month at a minimum to provide support, ask how rotations are going, and just to discuss personal well-being while also encouraging different self-care activities that the resident could do. They are also an additional resource for career guidance. So as the residency year progresses and the, they're thinking about their, their next year and what the next steps look like, the liaison is there to support them through those difficult decisions. We also have a professional development lecture series. And within this lecture series, there's three different lectures. And as Stephen mentioned, we really tried to time aspects of the curriculum um, to where it would be best for the resident, depending on where they are at in the year. So the first one is an introduction to burnout and resiliency in residency. And this lecture focuses on what burnout is and um, just tells the resident to look out for signs and symptoms of burnout and gives them tips on how to, how to be a resilient resident. The second one happens during or before the first clinical rotation, and it is on how to be an effective resident to help them transition from student to resident and um, really just to show them how to set up lists, how to triage their patients prior to their clinical rotation, and how to work up those patients effectively. And the third um, lecture is on time management, and this happens in October. They have a research month in December, so we really try to time that lecture prior to their research month. 
And the lecture focuses on how to segment large projects like their research project, um, how to prioritize things, and really how to organize their year to, to have the best year possible without getting behind. And the fourth part of the lecture series is interview preparation prior to PPS. So we do mock interviews with the residents. Um, we also have interview debriefs after PPS to discuss how the goals of the resident match with the goals and strengths of the programs that they interviewed with. Yeah, and I think um, one big part that um, Bree has done an excellent job taking over kind of our liaison program, and that's really been a huge part of um, the success of our wellness curriculum and our wellness committee. We really do rely on them heavily with those monthly meetings to get a good idea and the insights into what the resident is feeling, um, how they're handling their year, and we really do heavily rely on them. Um, in addition, I just want to touch on that introduction to well-being and resiliency. I think we do recognize as well that it's a two-way street. Um, so we give the same actual presentation that we give to the residents at the beginning of the year um, to our clinical specialists as well. So recognizing not only um, are we asking our clinical specialists and preceptors to look out for signs of burnout, um, looking for resiliency and skills for the resident as well. Um, we also recognize that our clinical specialists, we all know our workload, that um, we're giving them signs and symptoms of burnout and what to look for for our preceptors and clinical specialists as well. Not only in the clinical specialists, but in their co-residents, their employees, or their colleagues that they're seeing around the hospital. So not only directing this information just to our residents, but also giving the same information to our clinical specialists every year. Great, very important. So the next aspect of wellness in your curriculum would be emotional wellness. How did you organize your curriculum to support resident emotional resiliency? Yeah, emotional wellness is definitely a huge part of the curriculum and um, something we really focus on with the committee as well. Um, I would say the biggest thing and kind of the cornerstone of all of this is um, our burnout and resiliency monitoring. So we do do formal burnout assessments um, at least quarterly. So we have them in September, December, December and April. Um, and those are done with the Malash burnout inventory. Um, and our residents are aware we give information and debrief on what this is and that um, they will be, we will be looking at these scores and evaluating them. In addition to those more formal we also have an email that we send out every month as kind of a check-in. So halfway through each rotation, we send just a little, how are you doing? Anything that we can help with, how's rotation going um, to kind of see what's going on. So what we have found kind of in the first year of our curriculum was that sometimes when we're going with a full month without communication, that a lot of things can happen on one clinical rotation. So we really wanted to up our communication and make sure that we were checking in at the midpoint of each rotation, seeing if there's anything that we could help with. Um, with those burnout assessments, we do review them formally um, as a group. So our wellness committee that we talked about earlier um, comprises of a couple of clinical specialists that are interested in well-being and resiliency, and as well involves the liaisons. So we ask the liaisons to join us for those meetings specifically to discuss the um, burnout assessments results with the residents. So with those burnout assessments, we do get the results back immediately, but we do not release those scores to the residents immediately. We as a group convene after they've taken them, um, right after they've taken them to discuss them as a whole. With that, then we ask the liaisons to communicate what those scores mean and things that they can do to help. So we kind of took a step back and recognized that just sending the scores to those residents without any interpretation of them might be a little bit difficult. So if you see some numbers and don't know how to interpret them, they might be alarming, it might be difficult for them to really put 
get an idea of what those mean. So um, we do as a group formally look at them, discuss them, what they mean to the group as a whole, and then ask them to communicate those results to the residents. In addition, we do have what we call protected time, which is actually based off the feedback that we've gotten in the past year and a half has been the most valuable thing that we've had from our residents. So one big thing we really tried to hone in with our clinical specialist group is we meet once a month and this is protected time for the residents. So we really ask, unless it's an emergency or something's been set up with a preceptor, say an emergent counseling session or a code that they would like to get or see, we ask that there's really no clinical duties during the time that we meet for the one hour. So turning, not answering pages and asking the preceptor for that month to do that, um, turning off our messaging system, and really being able to dedicate that one hour to well-being and resiliency and being able to discuss with the preceptors. Um, we do have that kind of trust with our group as well, letting them know that everything that you say is going to stay within the four walls of us meeting. Nothing you say, unless it is a serious safety impact, is going to impact your residency evaluation or your clinical evaluation. It really is just a time to de-stress, talk about things that are bothering you. And oftentimes we find that, you know, residents are having the same issues or within the time of the year. So right before their um Research month, they're usually pretty busy with research. You know, around February, they're getting busy with interviews. What we found is that um, that communication allows them to understand that they're probably going through similar issues and similar stressors that their co-residents might be as well. Um, and that's really what we've been found that has been the most surprising part. We kind of went into our first year of our curriculum thinking that our professional development series is going to be the help most helpful. Um, but we've actually been flipped on the head where um, that's been kind of the least valuable activity that we've provided to them. And they really do just enjoy the protected time um, that we're able to offer them. And um, beginning of the year, we had kind of these prompted questions where um, it was a little bit quiet in the room um, where they didn't really want to openly talk. Um, but what we found is by the end of the year, they kind of come in with their laundry list of things that they want to talk about. And we really don't have any guided questions or need any prompting where they're really available and open to discuss with us kind of the stressors that they're going through and asking for advice and things like that. So it's been great. And I would just add, it will be interesting to see how with our residency program expanding and having more residents, how um, that um, communication differs with more residents in the group. Yeah, I love that. That's a great component of the program. So um, finally, let's talk about the social aspects of your residency well-being and resiliency program. What events have you all done and found beneficial to the curriculum? So we have three big group activities scheduled throughout the year, and this um, involves the entire pharmacy department. Uh, we have the resident meet and greet at the beginning of the year. Um, our Cincinnati Zoo has Christmas lights during December. So one of our events is the zoo lights and we walk around and um, can look at Christmas lights during that time. And we also have a resident end of the year send off um, party for them that the entire department is included in. In addition to that, we also have three small group social events um, and that um, just includes our wellness committee and the residents. And we have pumpkin carving at a preceptor house, which our residents are really fond of and dinners outside of work. Um, in addition to those events, we have a monthly newsletter that is sent out to the pharmacy department. And this newsletter features resident and preceptor life outside of pharmacy. 
highlights their accomplishments throughout the year, um, like research updates and anything that they're particularly, particularly proud of. Um, we sometimes include monthly wellness challenges. So for example, in December, we had the 12 days of wellness challenge where pharmacists were encouraged to complete three different wellness activities from four different categories, including fitness, nutrition, well-being and community. So um, this got the entire department involved in thinking about their wellness. And we promote local social and wellness events in the newsletter as well. Yeah, I would say within our first year, kind of going through trials and tribulations, that was kind of one of the biggest things where the light bulb went off in our heads is um, our institution specifically, and I know other institutions across um, the country, offer a lot of discounted tickets through things from employees. So taking advantage of those programs that are already available has been really helpful. So um, getting Zoo Lights at a discounted rate and being able to find time specifically dedicated for CCHMC employees it was really helpful. Um, when we're having pharmacy technicians, inpatient pharmacists, clinical specialists all get together, it's really nice to have those tickets available kind of like on our institution-specific homepage where they're able to buy those tickets. And it certainly helped with kind of the logistics and organizing of all of it and making sure people have the tickets and where to find them. Um, and really just being able to take advantage of the free things that they offer, the heavily discounted things within the city has been great. Those sound like some great events. Um, so your program is very comprehensive, and it's especially noteworthy how you combine elements of professional development and personal growth for the resident alongside professional enculturation and well-being checks. So how do you feel the program has been received, or is there any feedback or challenges that inform your program's growth going forward? Yeah, um, fortunately, we've been very, very lucky in that we've had um, amazing support, not only from our clinical specialists, um, the people who are part of the committee itself have been um, amazing at getting this all together, as well as having support from um, our leadership has been awesome. Um, our PGY1 and PGY2 residency directors have been very helpful in providing feedback um, for the program, have been very supportive of it um, in granting product, um, personal protected time, as well as the preceptors understanding that protected time. So they've been um, really helpful in, in um, receiving this. As far as kind of anticipated challenges, um, we have a couple of things on our horizons that we're looking for as far as expanding or things that we have kind of been reacting to over the past two years. Um, the first thing is kind of expanding where our pharmacists are covering. So we recognize that we had first started a lot of the pharmacists that we had had were kind of critical care pharmacists. And we quickly realized that, um, you know, not everyone is interested in ICU or is going to take an ICU rotation every month of the year. So for getting more people on the um, wellness committee that were operating in different spaces, so our BMT pharmacist, our transplant pharmacist, even having decentral pharmacists has been really helpful to really help identify the unique stressors of those situations and how we can kind of mitigate them or work with the residents to really help. Um, so we've really tried to expand that, but I think looking forward, that's something that we want to continue to do as well. Um, another thing I think is kind of being a new program. We've been a little bit, not overreactive is probably not the right word, but we just don't have a lot of data on the program and what people like and what people don't like. So um, I think our initial knee-jerk reaction was to get a piece of feedback and then implement it immediately. But we've had a lot of help and guidance from our leadership kind of saying like, We've seen residents come through. The feedback's not going to be the same every year. So try and get a little bit more data points and don't be overreactive just because one resident class wanted one thing 
another resident class may not want the other thing. And I think that kind of leads into our next anticipated challenge is tailoring the curriculum to resident specific needs. Um, I think now that we're kind of moving outside of this post pandemic world where, you know, we're no longer completely rounding um, virtually, people are starting to round in person again, the stressors and the needs of each resident is going to change over time. And certainly that kind of is going to change naturally as well. But I think um, living in this COVID world where we're remote rounding, um, kind of isolated, staying at home, getting sick with COVID, those unique stressors are kind of evolving um, and changing more rapidly than they were before. So how do we move into this post-pandemic world and how do we meet the stressors of residents kind of moving out of that? So before maybe providing more help with, you know, how do you navigate teams and how do you speak up when, you know, you're not in person to round on? Um, how do you work up a patient and just kind of meeting those unique stressors where those P4 students may not have even rounded in person for their fourth year of rotation and may not have rounded in person. So trying them trying to get them up to speed with that information where now residents have uh, rounded in person and things like that. So those needs are changing and those wants are changing. So how do we change that curriculum to meet them where they're at? So, so far we've talked a lot about the curriculum and lessons provided to the residents, and I'd love to transition to discuss a little bit more about the outcomes of your program. How do you define a resilient resident or what qualities do you hope to foster in your residents as they progress through their year? Yeah, and I think when we think about um, def- uh, what a resilient resident is, we really want to talk about um, how we define who is successful kind of going through our 12-month curriculum. Um, I think the first thing that we really want to instill in our residents and and see if they're kind of successful or what we define as a resilient resident is the ability to recognize kind of when those acute or chronic stressors, whether it be um, through the residency program, um, whether it's research or a tough ICU month or something outside of that in their personal life is starting to impact their work and performance. So being able to take a step back and saying, I'm kind of off of my base. So these acute stressors or these chronic stressors have kind of unloaded to where I feel my performance. So being able to take a step back and realize that they are burnt out, I think is kind of the first skill that we try to instill in them and the one that we really want to hone in because you really can't ask for help if you don't realize that you do need help. Second, once they're able to kind of recognize that they are burnt out or maybe experiencing some of those signs or symptoms or recognizing them in another resident, is are they able to kind of implement the things that we have been talking about or trying to work with them to do? So whether it be specific to that situation, whether it be acute stresses, like taking a second for a certain breathing technique that we've worked on, have they tried to implement maybe mindful breathing or thinking or meditation or anything like that? Or is it something more chronic, like every rotation they felt that they are not able to meet deadlines. So looking back at the time management lecture that Bree gives and saying, oh, well, I haven't implemented these skills yet. Maybe it's something that I can try. So we're kind of trying to give them the toolbox, but I think defining a resilient resident is outside of recognizing it is, you know, can you utilize these tools that we've tried to give you over the year? And then third and most importantly, I think is being able to understand and recognize that maybe a situation is kind of outside the realm of you being able to help yourself. So if you do feel like you're in a situation where you need help and it's kind of beyond what you feel like you can manage is do you know who to contact and do you know how to contact them and do you know when to reach out? Um, So we do have that information available to every resident after every meeting. So our employee assistance program has a counselor on call 24-7, being able to provide them for that information, um, as well as we have kind of a um, check sheet that we go through 
So we have an inbox set up for our pharmacy staff as well as our residents and our inpatient staff. Um, so anyone who can identify a stressor or maybe they identify signs and symptoms of burnout in a resident that they feel is impacting either patient safety or their performance or their own safety. Um, we have a formalized document that they can send to our email group where we meet immediately to discuss that. So um, not only knowing who to reach out to emergently, but being able to contact us if they do need help as well, kind of in that standardized format. So um, I know it was a lot, but to summarize kind of one, being able to recognize those chronic and acute stressors and kind of when you're off base. Two, are you able to kind of implement those skills that we've tried to instill in you in their year? And then three, when those skills aren't enough, do you know how to escalate them? Great, definitely very important lessons to learn as a resident and to continue on. So as we conclude today's podcast, what advice would you give to residents both at your institution and others, including myself, who will be starting programs in July in regards to maintaining well-being and resiliency in pharmacy practice? The advice that I would give would be to not be afraid to reach out to your mentors or preceptors. They all want what is best for the residents. And a colleague once told me to find out what fills your bucket. Um, so the bucket is contains a person's feelings and emotions. And when the bucket is full, it represents feeling happy and content. Um, so really finding out what makes you happy um, and leaning on those things throughout the year. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's a great point. Having a strong support system is awesome. Um, I think one thing kind of going through residency and then um, being able to preset residents now, I think the biggest thing is uh, don't be afraid to fail. Um, I feel like one thing that we um, try to instill in all our residents is, you know, if you were perfect at this or you were as good at this job as I was, if you knew everything I did, you would have my job. You wouldn't have to go through residency. Um, so one thing we try and kind of talk about is being frustrated is natural. Like we don't expect you to know all of these things. What we want for you is to be open to learning, be um, open to being taught be, and really trying to give it a good effort. Um, we don't expect you to have 100% of that knowledge. We don't expect you to be perfect. Um, so don't be afraid to fail. Really try hard and show that you're working hard and you know we're there to support you. That's why you're a first year or a second year resident. If you were perfect at it already, you wouldn't need to go through residency. So we do recognize that it's frustrating, but it's okay to be frustrated. That just means you're learning. Yeah, great advice. Thank you for sharing. And that's all the time we have today. I want to thank you, Stephen and Bree, for joining us today to discuss your residency program's wellness curriculum. It was great to learn more about your program and the unique aspects that your program offers. Um, if you haven't had the chance, I encourage you to visit wellbeing.ashp.org, where you you learn more about our partnership with the National Academy of Medicine, resources to promote wellness, and strategies to manage burnout. Please be sure to join us here each month for more on wellness and resilience. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.